happy Palm Sunday to everyone here. Uh, it is the beginning of Holy Week. We're so excited for that. Um, if you don't know me, my name is Pastor Philip. I'm the next-gen pastor here. I do youth and young adult. My wonderful wife, Angel, and my sleeping little toddler in the, over there would love, to, would love to meet you if we haven't already. Um, and yeah, we're just, we're just really excited to be a part of uh, a, a church like Artisan. If you haven't met you, we would love to. Uh, pastor Sam, our lead pastor here at Artisan, he's away uh, in Oklahoma preaching uh, at a church, blessing another church. I think it's so amazing that our pastors don't just have a church for what God is doing here in, in Blaine and our local community, but our pastors have a heart for the big C church. I want to bless the church. I think that we could be like that as well, uh, plugging into our community here, but also looking to the, how we can bless other churches. How many of you all are thankful for Pastor Sam and Pastor Renee and their leadership? Love them. So praying for safe travels for Pastor Sam as he is out of here. Um, so, and I'll just let you know this about your pastor. He's got a mean hook shot. One of these days, I'm going to beat him in around the world. So if he's watching this, know that I am coming for you, Pastor Sam. He be- I'm coming, I'm coming for you. Well, hey, I am excited for today. I'm excited. We're going to be looking at some texts. We're going to be looking at Luke chapter 19. So if you have your Bibles, you can flip open there. We're going to be looking at the Gospel of Luke. Um, uh, I really want to encourage you all as we are opening up Holy Week. We, uh, in the weekly email here at Artisan, we sent out a Bible reading plan. We want to encourage you to not just not just be involved and just be engaged here on a Sunday morning, but whenever you go home, look into the Word. Be immerse yourself in the story that is Holy Week, um, so that we can identify with the themes, identif- have uh, identify with the themes, and have God work some really good things in us outside of these four walls. So. Um, check out the reading plan that's on the the church email. But today, we're going to be in Luke chapter 19, all right? In the 930 service, Pastor Alex preached an amazing word, very, uh, had me thinking in my seats, like just rethinking my whole, my entire message because it it was so good. Uh, But it was really good. He looked at Luke chapter 19, and we are going to look at it as well here in the eleven. Um, before we open up the Bible, before we read, we have to remember two things. Anytime you open up the Bible, anytime you open up the Scriptures, you have to realize two things. One is that uh, we are jumping in the middle of a world that is completely unlike ours today. We live in America. We live in 2023. We live in the north side of the, or, the, or, or we live in the Twin Cities. We live in an urban environment. Uh, so much about what we read and where we read and who we're reading about in the Scriptures, we just have to kind of jump out of our own mindset and jump out of and jump into their mindset. We have to realize that we're going into a world that's completely opposite of ours today and you have to realize that we're jumping right into the, a story that's like already happening. One of my wife's pet peeves, can I be a little transparent here today? Can I be tr- transparent here today? Okay. One of my wife's pet peeves is she she's uh, she has like some of her favorite shows that she watches and she'll be like season two season three into a show she's loving it she's just really enjoying it and I'll be walking around our house and I'll see something and and uh, a character will catch my eye and and I'll walk up and I'll get curious I'm like hey babe why is this why is that lady crying in this in the TV show every time she has the same response she pauses the TV and she looks at me like do you really want me to explain three seasons of a TV show a half of an episode and tell you get you catch you all at the speed so you know why the lady's crying and every time I say the same thing now nah, I'm good so you have to realize that in the biblical narrative we're jumping into the middle of a story where we have to jump out of our culture and we have to pick up where the Bible left off so here we're looking at Jesus opening up the story of Holy Week in Palm Sunday so uh, 
Fun fact that the story of the triumphal entry, Jesus coming into the city of Jerusalem, is in all four Gospels. Uh, the, the fact that it's in all four Gospels speaks of its importance. Certain, certain the writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, they, they emphasize certain things if you read their certain accounts. It would be like if me and Pastor Alex went to uh, a, a trip to Disney World, me and him went together, and we came back and told you the story of our time at Disney World, we would tell you probably completely different things, but we would, we would, we would uh, be different about the minor things, but we would, all have, be on, we would both be on the same page with the major things. Like, if we went to Disney World, I would tell you about the rides, the roller coasters. I would tell you about maybe talking to somebody in line, waiting on the biggest ride there. Pastor Alex, he would definitely tell you where to get the best coffee in Disney <laughs> He would tell you, oh, man, this exhibit was just like exquisite. It was just, so, it was just so amazing. But me, I'm telling you about the roller coasters. But at the end of the day, me and Alex, we both get our picture taken with Mickey Mouse, right? You, got, you, you, would, you would always have, to, you always have to get the most important things. And this and the triumphal entry is one of those important things that's in all four Gospels. So let's look at it today. The big idea, before we get into anything, I just want to let you know kind of the, the idea that's going to frame uh, the, the, our time here today is that, uh, it, and it can come on the screen, you can't have Jesus's end Rome's way. We're going to unpack that a little bit today. You can't have Jesus's end Rome's way. You can't have Jesus's end Rome's way. So, so turn to your neighbor, say story time. We're going to look in Luke chapter 19, starting in verse 28 through 44. I'm reading out of the ESV version. If you have another version, that's wonderful as well. It says, and when he had said these things, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. When he drew near to Bethphage and Bethany at the mount called Olivet, he sent two of the disciples saying, go into the village in front of you where you, where on entering you will find a colt or donkey tied on which no one has ever yet sat. I don't know who this is for today. This was a, this was a donkey that nobody has ever ridden yet. Jesus knew that this donkey was ready. I don't know who this is for, but Jesus knows whenever you're ready, and he'll call for you. Don't know who needed to hear that today. Uh, untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it, you shall say this, the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent away and found it just as he told them, and as, he went, uh, as, as, let me see, and as they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, why are you untying this colt? And they said, the Lord has need of it. And... I guess they let him go. I guess that was good enough, good, enough, <laughs> good enough reason. And they brought it to Jesus. And throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they, the crowd, spread their cloaks on the road and was, and was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives. The whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for for all the mighty works that they had seen, all of the signs and the miracles and all the things that they've seen Jesus do. They were, they were, they were shouting those things out. Shout out, Jesus. Uh, Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord, they are saying. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. We'll talk about that later. And he said, I tell you what, if these were silent the very stones would cry out. Uh, and continuing on, it says, and when he drew near, he saw the city and he wept over it. He wept over it? What? He's in, in saying, would, this is what Jesus is saying now, would that you, even you, had known on this day 
the things that make for peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you. When And they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. Turn to somebody and say, this is God's word. You see, you can't have Jesus's end Rome's way, meaning you can't have the fruit or you can't have the results of a life following Jesus if you allowed outside sources to inform your expectation of who Jesus is and what he came to do. Today, we're going to look again at the story of the triumphal entry. We're going to look at the contrast that was going on in the story. We're going to look at, uh, although we're going to look at the expectation of the crowd that day, and then the results of of those expectations. And ultimately, my hope is that you and I, that we can embody the message that Jesus was blaring, that Jesus was putting on display that day, that you and I, that we would embody that message. So with that, I would love to pray. You can bow your heads with me. Heavenly Father, I thank you that you are a humble king. I thank you that you uh, not just spoke words that would set us free, but you modeled what it looks like to live free from the ways of the world. God, today, by the power of the Holy Spirit, would you help me to deliver the message that you have for us today? And I pray that all of us, including me, that our hearts would be open to receive what you have for us. If you believe that the Lord's going to speak to you today, say amen. If you're taking notes, you can write this down. Expectations shape your experience. Expectations shape your experience. Your expectations can either make or break the experiences that you have. I could very likely divide the room into two sections. Those of you who go through life with high expectations, maybe high expectations of yourself, high expectations of, of, your, of your life, and you're such an optimistic person, you're looking at life, maybe you're a perfectionist, you're, you're type A, and sometimes, if you're like me, those expectations can be dashed, and you can get, kind of be let down whenever the party wasn't as perfect as it, was, as, as it could have been, or, or maybe your kids didn't behave as well as you would have hoped they would have behaved. Sometimes your, your uh, expectations uh, aren't met. And the other half of the room kind of goes through life with, uh, with lower expectations, just so they're not disappointed. You you might not be the type of person, if you're this way, you might not be the type of person when you go to a restaurant, you don't like look for the like the best thing on the menu or the most like expensive, the nicest thing. You're just okay like just getting chicken tenders and a fries because you know you're not going to be disappointed if you just get chicken tenders. Where are my chicken tender people at? (laughs) Okay, you, you told on yourself, not me. Your expectations shape your experiences. Depending on what you're expecting, it will shape your experiences. Me personally, I'm not from Minnesota. I moved here in 2017, and I remember moving up here. And you know I loved my wife. Uh, she was my fiance at the time. You know I, I loved her because I moved up here in the middle of December. I moved here in the middle of winter, and, and they're like, oh, don't worry. This is talk about expectation. Oh, don't worry. The snow is like almost every single year the snow's gone by April. Oh, it never snows in April. You don't have to worry about that. And, and the first winter, I think it like snowed like 10 or 12 inches on April 15th. You guys remember that back in like 2018? That was ridiculous. So my I was completely dashed. Like 
I, at, at this point, I just put my head down and just wait and just pray until May. I'm like, okay, like, it's, it's, as long as it's here till May, I'll survive. We're going to make it. Jesus is faithful. He did it before. He'll do it again. We're going to make it through. Okay, we're going to make it through. Change, I had to change my expectations. And especially, like, having, having kids. Nobody's posting their kids having a tantrum in Best Buy whenever you're trying to buy yourself a birthday present. Nobody posts that. Everybody posts the, 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 uh, the, the pictures and the cute pictures. Right, we love, we love when our kids are acting great. We love whenever they're behaving and they're cute and the lighting's right. And, but that can paint a picture of, of an expectations whenever you walk into having this experience for yourself. It can, it, can, it can shake some things up. What I'm getting at is that it's important in life, it's important as believers, for us to manage our expectations. And the more meaningful the expectation the more diligent we have to be to manage it well. I want to ask you, what's your expectation of God in this season of your life? What are you, what are you praying for? What are you wanting him to do in your life? What is, what is a felt need that you have in your life, and how are you expecting God to meet it? It's important uh, to watch our expectations we carry of God so we don't miss what he actually wants to show us or what he actually wants to work in us. You see, that day, um, uh, that day, the Israelites, they had a certain expectation of Jesus, and, and in the midst of the noise, in the midst of the crowd, in the midst of the energy, their expectations, it, because of their expectations, they missed what he came to do. What did Jesus come to deliver them from? We're going to talk about that. So I, I want to I kind of dive into this, uh, the world, like I said. I want to dive into the world of, that Jesus was living in in that day, that the people were living in in that day. Almost all of the New Testament, basic, all of the New Testament was written inside the context of the Roman world, the Roman world, the Roman Empire. Uh, for you history buffs, you may know uh, a lot about the Roman world. You may even uh, be familiar with this term, the, the Pax Romana. Have you ever heard of this term before, the Pax Romana? Means, it means the Roman peace, the peace that was the peacetime that was taking place during the Roman Empire. And, and it kind of sounds like us, us in America, we, we like looking back at the Roman world. We, America takes a lot of inspiration from the Roman world. And even that term, like Pax Romana, it almost sounds like, like a cute baby name that people are naming their babies nowadays. Like, oh, little Paxi. Like, oh, like it, we, we have this pleasant idea of the Roman world. But in reality, this peace that was taking place was because of the brutality and the violence of that, that Rome was so notorious for carrying out. Um, this peace was formed by brutality. Rome conquered almost all of the known world at that time, not by ideas or speech, but by force. The only reason that they didn't, that they didn't just, just kill everywhere they went was because well, whenever they sh showed up and knocked on the door of smaller nations, they just agreed to pay taxes without having a fight. That's where this peace came from. Rome didn't need to kill and brutalize everyone, just who they needed in order to prove that they are not to be messed with. Reading, reading up on the story, this, how, how Rome said, it's my way or else. That's kind of how Rome operated. You're going you're gonna to pay taxes to us. You're going to do things our way or else. And, and they meant it. They, they had so many different shows of force. I was reading or I was listening to a podcast. To, I, was, I didn't, didn't do too much reading, but I listened to a lot of podcasts. Anybody, where's my podcast people at? So I was listening to this podcast, and it was a, a history podcast talking about the Roman world, talking about convict, uh, uh, crucifixion. And there was a time, it was noted, that a slave killed his master 
And this master was a, a huge government leader, had like hundreds and hundreds of slaves. And the rule of that day was if, if a master were to be killed by the slave, then the whole household were, would be crucified. And they thought, like, even like they had councils, meetings about it, like, oh my gosh, this guy had hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of slaves, of, of servants. Are we really going to do this? And they put their foot down and said, yes, we are Rome and we are not to be messed with. They crucified hundreds of people that day just for one person's mistake. This is the story of Rome. So no wonder the Israelite people, they were pining, they were waiting, they were, they were hoping for the Messiah to come to deliver them from this oppressive force. And I honestly don't blame them one bit for waiting on the Messiah to come to deliver them from this oppression that they were feeling. And Israel at that time, so you got the Roman world and you got the Israelites here in this, in this context. Uh, Israel at the time was God's chosen people. This was way before, this is before Jesus died on the cross, obviously, and, and God, he made a covenant, this is before he made a covenant with any and all who believe. This is before that. At this time, Israel was a collective group of people that made up a nation, going all the way back to a guy named Abraham as their common ancestor. So it's this group of people, from the beginning of God's journey with this group of people, however, there was this, there was this constant tension, constant tension between God and the people of Israel. God wanted them to stand out from the other kingdoms of the world. They wanted, God wanted them to eat different foods. He wanted them to dress differently, to bathe differently, so that they could show the character of God, so they can put on the display of the, of the God that they follow. But the tension always came from the people of Israel, not looking to God, but they have a history of looking to other kingdoms in order to define success. They said, if they, well, if they have a king, we need to have a king. If they worship gods like this, we'll worship gods like this. If they sacrifice their uh, children, we'll, we'll, look at, we'll look at doing that. They would look at other kingdoms. They would look at other ways of conducting themselves when God wanted them to be different and to stand out. It's so, and, and, and this would cause them to miss God's purposes for them or sometimes even turning their back on God, the, Isra the Israelite people would do. It's easy to look at the journey that God walked on with them and to judge them, and, which is basically the entire Old Testament. It's so easy for us to, as sitting in our seat here today to look at them and judge them and say, how could you do that? How could you turn your back on God? How could you get distracted in that way? How could you define success from another outside source? But so often, that's what we do today. We may not go to the lengths that they went, but oftentimes we take our eyes off of a vertical relationship with God and to horizontal and say, oh man, that's what they're doing. Maybe I need to Maybe I need to, to cheat in this way to advance myself. Maybe I want to be dishonest here. You know, it's just a little white lie. You know, there's this loophole. I'll just do this so I can, so I can advance myself and gain more power. I'm glad that God included their failures, though. I'm glad that he included their distractions because it tells a story of a God who will have grace for you whenever you fail. Mercy for you whenever you are distracted with the things of this world. And he never fails to call you back, to draw you back. That's the story of the Old Testament. Israel would get off and he would call them back. He would call them back. He would call them back. I want to let you know, wherever you're at here today, if you feel like far away, if you feel like you've been distracted, if you feel like you've been looking to other areas in order to find success, God's calling you back. God's drawing you back today. Israel looked to the kingdoms of the world for definition of success, and the story of the triumphal entry today is no different. They're doing it again. So 
You got, the, you got the multitudes gathered in Jerusalem. They're there for Passover. They're there to celebrate this holiday. And, and people begin to catch wind that this Jesus guy that's been walking around for the last three years, that he's, that he's coming back by. People heard about all the signs. People heard about all the miracles. People heard about everything that he was doing. Rumors were flying around. Secondhand information was spreading around. Who is this Jesus? Who is this Jesus? He's a prophet. Who is this Jesus? Who is this Jesus? No, he's, he's, he's this. He's that. Uh, and then this term Messiah, the, he's the Messiah, he's the deliverer. This title Messiah, why don't you just say that, say Messiah. This title Messiah carries with it, carried with it an expectation of deliverance. How many, how many of you all know that Jesus is a deliverer, amen? Um, but this expectation that they carried this day was that they would be delivered from the oppressive force of Rome, of the government, of their society, uh, their expectation is about to shape their experience. They rally together. They meet this king as he enters the city. They cut off branches. They line the streets. They take off their, their cloaks and their robes. They let them on the street because they believe that Jesus is coming into Jerusalem and he's going to ride into the, to the throne, to the capital, and he's going to overthrow Rome. That's what they've been asking for. That's what they've been praying for. That's what they've been expecting. That's what they've been expecting. It's so interesting that we call this Palm Sunday. Only, only John mentions palms in specifically, explicitly. Um, but palms, uh, hundreds of years before Jesus, there was a, uh, a person, if I'm getting my names right, Simon Maccabee. He drove out these enemies of Israel, and on their way back, this, it was a military victory. What did they do? They cut palm branches. This is hundreds of years before Jesus. They cut palm branches and they waved them and they let them and they set them down on the street because this is what Rome would do. This is what other countries would do whenever there was a military victory. So they were expecting Jesus to come in and overthrow. They were mistaken in their expectation. I, I believe the disciples who were close to Jesus really, who got a, who got a glance of his heart, who, who, who knew his purposes and his plans, maybe, just maybe they understood but I'll tell you what, the people, the crowd that day, all they had was secondhand information. They didn't have a relationship with Jesus. They didn't follow him close enough to, to know his ways, to hear his heart, to, to, know, to know his voice. All they had was secondhand information. And I want to tell you something today, that secondhand information skews expectation. Secondhand information skews expectation. What, they, what, what, are, what are they saying about Jesus? Who, who do they say that I am? Secondhand information <clears throat> skews expectation. We need to be people who don't just have secondhand information of God, but have firsthand encounters, firsthand experiences and, and at, our, at our bedside tables, at our kitchen tables, in God's presence, with, with God's word. Amen? So all these people are cutting palm branches, they're getting ready, but Jesus makes another completely different set of preparations. Uh, Jesus, in Luke 19, 29 through 31, he sent two of his disciples, go into the village in front of you. Uh, go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it, bring it here. If anyone asks you why you're untying it, tell them that the Lord has need of it. Jesus sends these unnamed disciples ahead of them to retrieve a young donkey um, for his most important revival. But why a donkey? Why a donkey? If, 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 if Jesus was doing it Rome's way, if Jesus wanted to really display his power, really wanted to display his glory, really wanted to display how important he was, don't you think he would have picked a, a, a giant horse with 
big hooves and big powerful snout. Like Rome, whenever they would ride into cities, they would want to put on display exactly who they were. They wanted to put on display their force, their strength. But Jesus, this day, picks a donkey. Look in Zechariah 9.9. You can flip there or write it down for later. Zechariah 9.9 is a prophecy about Jesus. It says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. Humble. Somebody say humble. Humble and mounted on a donkey. On a colt. The foal of a donkey. See, Jesus was the king of all kings, amen? But he chose a donkey, a beast of burden. He did this to fulfill another prophecy given hundreds of years before he lived, but also to put on display the kingdom that he was bringing to the earth. He was not bringing a kingdom where he would want his people to take things by force, to deceive, to hold people to consequences. He wanted his people to embody a message of humility, of sacrifice, and of service. He, uh, any other leader in that time would have chosen the tallest horse to, to ride into. But Jesus, when he knew all eyes would be on him, he chose humility. Going to show that his kingdom is not one of human force, but that of humility. That his kingdom, get this, that his kingdom is more forceful than any human effort. He goes to show that sacrifice is the way of Jesus. People chose palms that day, but Jesus chose a donkey. People chose palms because they were expecting a military leader, but God had other plans. He showed that he was prepared. Jesus showed that he was prepared to carry the most oppressive burden of them all. The truth is, is that Jesus is a deliverer. But he didn't come to deliver them from anything on the external. He came to deliver them from something on the inside. We can believe a lie that our external circumstances uh, can weigh us down and can, and can hurt us and harm us. But let me tell you something. The most, what God, what Jesus came to deliver us from is what I, what I need delivered from the most, and it's myself. I need to be delivered from my own sinful ways and my own sinful habits and, and, these, and these dark thoughts that come into my mind. Jesus came to deliver us, not from external circumstances, but from internal sin. He didn't die on a, on a cross just to, to free people governmentally so they can vote and do this and do that. He died on a cross so that you could walk into the courts of heaven and have a relationship with, with our Heavenly Father. Amen? So, so sin, uh, sin all... Uh, sin is what Jesus came to, to die for. We're going to talk about that on Good Friday. Uh, Philippians chapter 2, verses 6 through 8 says, uh, Jesus, speaking about Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, he didn't count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in likeness of men, being found in human form, he humbled. Somebody say humbled. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. 2,000 years ago, in a world of brute force, political division, confusion, Jesus knew that sacrificial love would be the only thing that would break the cycle. It had to stop somehow. 
The, the oppression, yes, Rome, yes, but, 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 but sin, sacrificial love is the only way that, uh, that sin, the power of sin could be broken. And it's so interesting that Rome, this way of Rome, can still live on the inside of us. Maybe it might not be a, a cultural uh, kingdom in this world, but the way of Rome, sometimes it can live on the inside of me. Whenever I'm in a relationship with somebody that I love and, and I have a tendency to say, oh, uh, I want to force my way, force my will, impose my will, or else you're going to get the silent treatment. Or else I'm going to be mean, I'm going to retaliate in some way. The way of Rome still lives on the inside of us, but the way to overcome Rome is not through force, but through humility, humbling oneself. Jesus shows us this. We ought to embody this. We have to embody that, and we have to ask ourselves the question, what am I expecting of Jesus? What am I expecting him to deliver me from? What am I expecting Jesus to deliver me from? Because our expectations shape our experiences. Am I expecting, some, am I expecting Jesus to be something that he's not? Growing up in church, I, I'm a pastor's kid, so it was kind of funny, uh, not this year, but last year, I was running some errands for my church at the time, and I, I was the errand boy to go pick up the palms for Palm Sunday. I went and picked them up, and I, and I brought my daughter, even though she was in diapers. I remember running these pastor errands with my dad. He would go get the palms and all the communion on Good Friday. I was, I was there following him like a little duckling on all these pastor errands. And so I grew up in church, and I remember hearing the story every single year of saying, why are these people, like, so good and have the right mindset on Sunday but then fast forward five days later, these same people are yelling, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. These aren't like different people, same people that were there for the festival, celebrating him, worshiping him. And five days later, they're saying, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. The praise of people can be fickle sometimes. But what it goes to show is that I, I would ask myself the question that like, why, how do they have the right heart one day and the wrong heart one day, the, ne the next day? But the reality was is that they may have had the right words on that day, but they were saying the right words with the wrong heart. The, the fruit Friday of them yelling, crucify him, crucify him, kill him, get rid of him, we don't want him. That was only the fruit of a misplaced expectation. Whenever we expect certain things from God and he doesn't come through in the way that we expect him to, it's so easy for us to fall into confusion. Why is he not? I, I prayed, I did this, I gave, I gave the builders, I gave this. We, we can fall into confusion. We can fall into discouragement. Maybe I'm not as loved as I thought I was. Maybe I'm not. This. We can fall into discouragement, or we could just fall into offense of God. Well, if he's not going to do this for me, then, then bump him, crucify him. We look at the people of Israel and say, why, how could they do that? But, but I, this, this week, I had to take a good look at myself and say, why do I do this? Discouragement, confusion. Offense, this is something that is only the fruit of a misplaced expectation. So I want to ask yourself, am I expecting Jesus to be something that he is not? He's a deliverer. He's a deliverer. And he delivers us in the way that we need it most. So upon taking a second look at this, the keys can come back up. So I want, to, so the question is, how do we guard ourselves against false expectations? How do we guard ourselves against the way of Rome in our own hearts? One, we just have to, we just have to not protect ourselves from outside sources, from, expect, from informing our expectation 
of God. Proverbs 4 says it best. It says, it says, guard your heart. Above all things, guard your heart. Because out of your heart flow the issues of life. We guard ourselves from outside sources of information by having first-hand information. First-hand experiences from God. Church involvement is amazing. I, I growing up, was the professional at second-hand information. I was sitting in church every single week. Didn't change me. Didn't, didn't cause me to be a light to my friends. Didn't do anything. But until I got, in, got involved with an, with an amazing youth ministry and some amazing leaders in my life, and I began to sit on my carpet and open my Bible there on my bedroom floor, that's when things began to change for me, whenever I got things firsthand. Not secondhand, firsthand. Not just from a podcast, not just from somebody else's ideas, but from God himself when he speaks to you. That's firsthand. That's firsthand. How do you protect yourself against the way of Rome? How do you guard ourselves against false expectations? We have, uh, we have to give more attention to firsthand knowledge of Jesus. Thank you, Lord. See, firsthand knowledge is available for all of us through a relationship with Jesus Christ. He's our Lord. He's your friend. He walks with you. Just like he walked with Israel through the whole story of the Old Testament, failure after failure after failure, calling them back after calling them back after calling them back. I love that Jesus put on display in this holy week who he really is. Not only did he call them back like time after time after time, but even when they were offended at him, even whenever it looked as though he let them down, he still said, I'll still give myself for them. I'll still sacrifice. I'll still shed my own blood so that hopefully they'll accept my invitation into a relationship with me. There's so much contrast in the story of the, of the triumphal entry. He showed that God, that God wants us to live different from the world in order to show his character. We can look at what ex, the power of expectation and that we as his believers, as the people uh, embodying and, and, and spreading his kingdom in the world today that we ought to embody this message. Why don't you stand up where you're at? What if we did this? What if this Palm Sunday, maybe it's your first Palm Sunday in church, maybe you've been to just as many Palm Sundays as me or more. What if this Palm Sunday was a day you said, you know what? I really don't just want to hear the story, but I really want to embody the story. When I have an opportunity to, to promote myself or to make myself look important or to take things by force, I'm going to go the humble route. Whenever, whenever kings would walk into cities, it was a display of force. And Jesus, he was, he was, it was a display of force for Jesus that day. Humility is always more forceful than the ways of the world. God says, those who humble themselves, he will exalt. What if, what if this day we embody the message of sacrificial love to our spouse, to our kids, to our friends, to our coworkers who don't know Jesus? What if we embodied this message? What would it look like? Take a, take a second. Just take a second. What would that look like? What would your Monday morning look like? You sacrificially gave of yourself compliments, of, sacrificially gave of yourself money, resources to, to people who need it most. And you could show the character of our God.